How many people think that um, Craig can make a football analogy for anything? <clears throat> can, I, can I add my own? Because I love this church. This has is, this is like been a really fun day for me. Um, just watching our team, being a part of the worship, and Johnny coming in and helping us, and Anna leading us. I just, I love the team that God has brought here and just provided for us. And um, it feels to me like there's an applause that's like pent up in this room right now. Could we just give that one more time wholeheartedly? Just like, I love our team. Love our team. I love that I get to work with Craig and I get to work with some amazing people. Uh, Tom Bronner this week reminded us of the recruiting class of 2021. Am I doing this right? That there was a recruit last year named Brad Herndon who this weekend, he and Allison were checking out Heartland to see if God was calling them to join the team. And uh, this weekend we spiked the football on them and say we love that you guys are here and like God's worked it out and like this is kind of the one year anniversary of your first days kind of exploring this and just what a man, ah, more of that later. Uh, hey, have you, um, you ever said never to something? Like I'll never do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, some of you went to KU and you're like, I'll never send my kid to K-State. How'd that go for you? I was uh, raised in a Chicago White Sox family, and it was, we'll never root for the Cubs. And so, um, God's humor, I married the biggest Cubs fan in the world. Stop yourselves. The repentance classes, never mind. Right, like we have all these, like I'll never, these really foolish nevers. Like I'll never use an iPhone, I'll never use an Android. That's the lamest one of all of them. My dad was a car guy, he was a Chevy guy. He was like, I'll never drive a Ford. Uh, maybe more importantly, you, you um, said, I'll never, to, to something in your life that was maybe more significant. Like you got married, and in the premarital counseling, you kind of made promises to each other. Like, I'll never do things the way that my parents did things. Like, because I just want us to do better. I mean, I hear this in counseling all the time. Or, 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 or maybe you had kids, and you're like, I'll never treat my kids the way my parents treated me. And, and, and you just want more for the future. And so you say things like, I'll never or maybe really important things when it comes to God, you've said some I'll nevers in your own life. Maybe you were raised in a not religious family and you said, I'll never go to church. And then you came and you're like, yeah, that's fine, but I'll never believe. I'll never be someone who stoops to that level of anti-intellectualism to believe in a Jesus. I'll never do that. Or maybe you were raised in a family like mine where I was in church on the sixth day of my life. And uh, I, I grew up as kind of a church junkie. And I, I remember thinking, like, I'll never not believe. I'll never not pray. I'll never not go to church. I'll never not. I mean, how could I ever? Here's what I want to show you. If you've ever said, I'll never to God about either never believing or never not believing, while these seem like two very different ideas or two very different people, I want you to know this is the same exact heartbeat behind two very opposing ideas. I'll never not believe or I'll never believe, actually come from the same place. Here's what I mean. Both of these are declarations of certainty. I, I wonder if it surprises you to know that actually both of these statements occur on either side of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus uh, told his disciples, it was to all of them at the Last Supper, that I'm going away, that I have to die, and you're all going to desert me. And, and Peter, look what Peter said. Peter said, um, even if I'll fall away on account of you, I say this with me. I never will. Then after Jesus was raised from the dead, this is what I want to talk to you about today, he showed up to his disciples 
And then he showed them, you know, his hands. And his, but one disciple wasn't there, Thomas. And when the disciples came to him, uh, they, they said, we've seen the Lord. And, and then look at what Thomas says. He says, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into the side, say this with me, I will never believe. So here we have both of those statements. I'll never not believe. And then I'll never believe. And here's what I want to ask us this question today. What does it mean for us, people who make these statements, these declarative statements about who we are and what we know about the future? What does it say about us who say, I'll never, when it comes to God, the fact that some of the disciples said, I'll never fall away, and spoiler alert, they all fell away. And then what does it say about Thomas that he said, I'll never believe, and then, you know, spoiler alert, he believes. If the people who were closest to Jesus could flip-flop on their convictions so quickly, what does it mean for you and I who bring our questions to God and our certainty about what's possible for us in faith to God or doubt to God? Here's what I think it means. It means this, is that maybe the thing that we should pay attention to in our doubts with God is not our doubts with God but we should maybe doubt ourselves. <laughs> maybe, maybe when, when those moments of I'll never come up, we hear them as things that maybe we should question in our heart to say what's behind the I'll never that makes me think I'll never. And, and maybe the way forward for all of us who doubt is actually to doubt our doubts. I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> I'm not trying to be like slick. I'm not trying to be poetic. I'm not trying to like trick you into some sort of intellectual conclusion. I'm not trying to unravel your faith. I just think if we looked at the story of Thomas, the ultimate doubter, we might come to realize that in our lives, the certainty that we think we have in our faith or in our doubt are actually things that we can't be certain of in themselves. And that Thomas shows us maybe a better way for us to move forward into a deeper faith and a deeper experience with Jesus that we can actually bank our lives upon as opposed to these apparently strong convictions that we declare into the future that we all of a sudden find ourselves changing on in the first place. And here's, here's what I mean. I just want to, I want to show you, I want to show you um, this in Thomas's life. Thomas was, was one of the disciples. He's one of the ones who around the Last Supper told Jesus that he would never fall away and then he fell away. And Thomas is the one who, when Jesus showed up in John chapter 20 to the disciples, he, he wasn't there in the room that day. John chapter 20 tells us this amazing story. The night that Jesus, uh, uh, of, of Easter, Jesus showed up in a room to his actual disciples. They saw him. And all but two disciples were there. Judas wasn't there. And Thomas, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. But John tells us that all the other disciples were in this room and Jesus showed up to them and, and they, they believed in him. And, and there's this guy in the disciples named Andrew. Andrew's the guy who's the, you know, consummate includer. He's always looking around to figure out who can I bring to Jesus? Who can I make sure that they experience this thing? You know, it's the friend who's always trying to connect you with the other friend. Andrew was like old school LinkedIn. Like he's, he was always trying to like be the bridge to help you see the connections you have to Jesus. And I can imagine Thomas, Andrew looking around and going, you guys, this is amazing, but where's Thomas? 
Can someone tell me where Thomas is? And, and I think Andrew was the one who was like, you guys, we got to go tell Thomas. We got to go find Thomas because when Thomas finds out that Jesus isn't dead, but he's actually alive, he's going to pee his pants. It's going to be amazing. I can't believe it. I can't wait to see the look on his face. And so they go and they tell him, they say, hey, we've seen the Lord. This is, this is what John says in John chapter 20, verse 24 and 25. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And look at how Thomas replies. He says, he says this, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and the, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into the side, I'll never believe. I, I kind of get where Thomas is coming from. Think about this. It, if you had been with Jesus at the Last Supper, had known that someone was going to betray him, we're, we're told that you were all going to wander away and you made this firm conviction, I would never wander away, I'll never fall away. And then a couple hours later, guards show up and arrest Jesus. A couple hours later, Pilate's house is overrun by a crowd who heard that Jesus was on this ad hoc trial. And the crowds turn away from Jesus. And the religious leaders coerce the governor to actually crucify Jesus. And they put him on a cross and they drag him up a hill. It didn't used to cost him so much to say, I'm with Jesus as it did the moment Jesus was dying. And then Jesus died. It's the most irrefuted fact of history is that Jesus died. Nobody argues this. We all understand it. He died historically on a Roman cross. Thomas knew he was dead. And that declaration that Thomas had made that I'll never fall away died that Friday too. I would doubt. If I had gone through all the things that Thomas had gone through, I would doubt. In fact, I think the actual word for what I would do is I, I would deconstruct. Uh, you're on TikTok, you've heard of deconstruction, you've thought about faith, you've heard a podcast, you've heard about deconstruction. Deconstruction is just uh, re-examining the foundations to your faith that held the whole thing together to realize that not all of it was centered upon the things that it's supposed to be centered upon. We are always deconstructing things in our life. Some of the best desserts are deconstructed, amen? I know, right, right, right. That was a quick joke, you missed it. We're always reevaluating the foundations to our faith. We're always taking our experience and putting it through the lens of reason. We're always trying to figure out what's true about this, what's core to this. And this week, actually, Brad Herndon and um, a very smart guy named A.J. Svoboda, he wrote a great book called After Doubt, talking about deconstruction and Jesus. They actually uh, had a conversation this past week that we're going to include all of you in this Wednesday evening. I'd love to invite you online to Zoom uh, for a discussion with A.J. Svoboda and a discussion amongst us as pastors about what does it mean for us to doubt and deconstruct here in our real day and age. And if you've got questions that you'd love for us to talk about. I just want you to know this is a great opportunity for you. You can go to uh, heartlandchurch.org to find out all the details and get that Zoom link. But I, I hope you'll carve out a couple minutes of your week 
this week to join us and think about this really important topic. But, but, but here's why Thomas doubted. Thomas doubted based upon his reason. He had experienced something that he had experienced many times before. Somebody died. He watched Jesus die. It's not a rational leap to say that dead people stay dead. <clears throat> Yesterday, I, I, I buried my uncle. I was at the graveside in Chicago. And, um, you know, it's one of those moments of just like, no one's expecting this guy to wake up. And if, if I wasn't there and my uncle did wake up, I'd call my family crazy, right? Be like, you guys are nuts, like mass delusion. This is, this is insane. Thomas's doubt was based upon reason. I think that's so important for us to acknowledge because a lot of times we think in the church world, like, you know, you're, you're a doubter, that you're an irrational person. But actually, maybe doubters are the most rational people of all. They have a reason for why they experience the world and understand the world the way they do. Thomas's rationality went like this. He had seen Jesus do amazing things. He had even seen Jesus raise people from the dead. But Thomas knew that nobody raises themselves from the dead. And the only person who could raise other people from the dead was himself now dead. And therefore, he was dead, dead. Not mostly dead. Dead. And he wasn't around. He didn't have the same experience that the other disciples had. And so Thomas had this rational doubt. And this rational doubt led him down this path of saying, I can't believe that unless I see it with my own eyes. And so I can't. I refuse. And isn't that how doubt often goes? We reason it and then we refuse it. Whatever the claim of God is, we reason it away and then we refuse to believe it. I think there's three things that Thomas doubts. Thomas doubts in this statement when he says, unless I see in his hands... I think the first thing he doubts is the disciples, right? I mean, like, I think as the disciples are telling him, like, we've seen the Lord, I think he says, well, well, unless I see in his hands the marks, I'll never believe. Isn't it true that sometimes we find it really hard to believe the things that other people experience about God? Because we just weren't there. Thomas had that experience. But the second thing I think he, he, he doubts is, is Jesus, right? Unless I see the marks in his hands, whatever this guy is that you think you saw, I don't think he's the same guy. I want proof. I want to see those scars. I want to know that he's the same guy that they put on the middle cross, not the side cross, not the other cross, but the middle cross. I think he doubted Jesus. I think most of all, I think most of all, I think Thomas doubted himself. I don't think this line right here that I'll never believe was a statement of fact. I think it was actually a statement of feeling. I think Thomas is saying, like, I know myself. I know myself too well. You can tell me all the things you want to tell me. You can prove it to me all, all the ways you want to prove it. But unless I'm the type of guy that's got to experience it for myself, I got to know that the fire is hot to get burned. And, 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 and I just, I know that unless I see him, I'm never going to believe him. And there's something in this story that if you're a Thomas, gives you incredible hope for what to do with your doubts. How to actually engage your doubts in a constructive way. And if you're not a Thomas, but you've got a Thomas in your life, you're a parent of a little kid or a parent of a really old kid, and they doubt Jesus and you've wondered, how do I help them in their doubts? I've preached them, I've tried to push them, I don't know what to do. There's something in this story. The next words from John actually give us a clue as to 
how to help the Thomases, how to be a Thomas and how to be a friend of a Thomas in our doubts. And here's what it looks like. I just want to read, read this to us. Here's what John says. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, we'll talk about this some other day, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. An incredible miracle. But then look at what he said to Thomas. It's just so perfect. And just like Jesus to meet Thomas in his exact request, he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I don't know if you're not medical, but that makes me a little queasy, right? Like, I don't want to see your gory side, Jesus. But that's what he says. Thomas, if this is what it's going to take, I'm here. See and believe. And Thomas answered him with the greatest reversal because he had seen the resurrected Jesus himself. He no longer says, okay, I, I give up. He, no, he just says, my Lord and my God. What was it that allowed Thomas to switch from being the I'll never believe to the you're my Lord and my God? Of course it's that Jesus showed up to him. But what did Thomas do in the midst of his doubt that put him in a position for Jesus to show up to him? You might be thinking, there's nothing I can do to put myself in a position that Jesus is going to show up to me. Jesus is just supposed to show up to me. That's part of the thing. And I want to actually show you maybe, maybe we've thought about that wrong. Because I think there's three paradigms in this text that actually help us see what do we do when we doubt to help us in our doubt. And I want to go back to the first things that John said. Just maybe call this out to us. The first is that uh, this meeting happened not minutes later, but how long? Eight days later. Man, that's a long week. I don't know if you traveled over the Christmas holiday to your in-law's house or to a family member's house and they're like on the opposite side of the political spectrum than you. Or they like, are, you really have interstate university beef with them and you can't, there's certain things where you've all agreed, like we're just not gonna talk about these things so we have a happy time. And you can only stand like, 23 hours with them before you've got to go home. I wonder if during this seven days, there was a little tension between Thomas and the disciples. I think, you know, we can't really prove this at all, but I, I think there was, this is how the eight days went. I think the first day after Thomas's profession of denial, I think it kind of went like this. The, the disciples who had seen Jesus kind of huddled up and they said, now listen, let's just hang tight for a little bit. Jesus is going to come back today. When Thomas sees it, he'll believe and then we'll, we'll be okay. And so there they stayed. Now, it didn't hurt that the Romans were outside looking for the disciples to kill them, but they stayed in the house together. And you know what happened that first day? Nothing. That second day, they probably said, okay, it's got to be today. Nothing. Third day, they're like, well, he raised them the third day. Maybe he'll show up again. Nothing. Fourth day, I think they sent Peter in. I think on the fourth day, they had a little powwow, and they're like, all right, Peter, why, Thomas is over in the corner being all melodramatic. Why don't you go talk to him? Peter goes up to him. He's like, all right, hey, bro. Hey, um, you kind of came out hard at us the other day, man. And I just, I just want to remind you that, like, we know each other, dude. Like, you know who I am, Thomas. You, we've spent a lot of time together. You know I'm a lot of things, but one thing I'm not is a liar. Bro, you can trust what I say. We know what we saw. We saw Jesus. He spoke to us. He appeared in this room. Man, you got to believe us. And I think Thomas probably looked back at Peter and said, man, if he showed up to you, why hasn't he shown up to me? Why were you lucky enough to see him? Why was I so unlucky to see him? If he's really alive, why has he hidden himself from me? 
I'll never believe unless I see. Day five goes by. Day six goes by. Day seven goes by. And when is it? On the eighth day. You know, I'm struck by this because Jesus really loved this guy named Lazarus and he let him go four days before he showed up to the grave of Lazarus. This is twice as long as he waited for Lazarus. And this is what this tells me is that sometimes God is actually not in a hurry to relieve you from your doubts. You know why this is really hard for all of us? Google, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking of. Hey, Siri, when is the Chiefs game today? You don't have to wonder about that. I mean, you all know that, but, you know. I got a couple kids, and they got those Alexa devices, and um, I hear them all the time asking Alexa questions that they should be asking me, <laughs> you know. We have been conditioned today to not ever live in a world of doubt. We can get the answer to any question we've ever wanted in a matter of seconds. In fact, artificial intelligence can feed it to you out loud so you don't even have to type anything. You and I really struggle with this idea of God being patient because we really, 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 really want to know God. But what this tells me is that sometimes God is content to let us sit in the fog before he turns the light on in our souls. Sometimes God is really content to just let us be in our discontent so that we can celebrate him when he shows up. If you're the type of person who has given up on prayer because you prayed for three days and God didn't do the thing. I mean, I hear this as a pastor all the time. People are like, man, I don't pray anymore. Why? Well, because I, I, I prayed some stuff and, and God didn't do it. I, I often ask, like, well, how long did you pray? <laughs> I gave it a couple days, man. Never did it. Imagine if Thomas had given up on Jesus after seven days. After seven days, he just checked out of the disciples' crew and just walked away. Sometimes it takes eight. I think God is way more patient with our hearts than we are. I think God has got a different timetable with our doubts than maybe we want. What if the very experience of asking questions is what God is using to resolve your faith even deeper in him? so that when he shows up, he'll do it in a way that is so personal to you. That's the first thing. Thomas waited. But then check this out. I mean, this is right here. It's kind of an interesting. Thomas stayed with the disciples. I think this tells us a ton about what it means to go through doubt. One of the things that bothers me about my kids, you know, growing up and having all these questions is the other day I heard one of them asking Alexa what heaven's like. What? Your dad's a pastor. Come on, bro. <laughs> I think actually we're tempted to go to the wrong places with our questions, aren't we? I, um, I'm no sociologist, but I understand Google's top rankings are often questions that should be asked of counselors and pastors, maybe doctors. We go to the wrong places with our questions, I think. Where did Thomas go with his questions? Where did Thomas go in his doubt? Where did Thomas go in his wrestling? He went to the place where the other people were who had seen the thing that he didn't believe. He decided to stick it out with them. And here's what I think is even more fascinating. The disciples created space in their group for someone who was of them but didn't believe like them. Isn't that amazing? That, that the disciples were so kind to Thomas to say, bro, we really wish you would believe. You really, you really, it would really change your life. You wouldn't stop talking about this Jesus if you just knew that he was alive. But until you experience him for yourself, you're welcome here, man. 
eight days, the disciples welcomed Thomas in. And I think the whole time they were praying. I can't prove this, but I think the whole time they were praying, God, would you just show yourself to Thomas? Would you allow him to be here in this moment to, sh to show him what you've shown us? We want him to believe. And that's why I think it's so important for us who, who have faith to be safe people, to do what Jude says, to be merciful to those who doubt. This is the heartbeat, I think, of our church, isn't it? This is what Heartland's actually all about, is we're making space to build relationships to make Jesus first. Not because you got relationships with people who already put Jesus first, but we want relationships with anybody because we believe in the midst of our relationships, Jesus becomes first. Man, if you've got doubts, if you think I'm crazy, like, I'm so glad that you're here. Like, we can agree to disagree on that, and I don't have to win you over with persuasive thoughts or, or convincing speeches. I don't have to do that because I just think if you're going to be here and be around us who have actually seen God do some things, you don't have to take our word for it. I believe that if you're around us, it's going to happen, and God's going to show up to you too. It's just a matter of time if you'll bring your doubts to the place where people are talking about them. That's what we as a church want to be. That's what we as a church believe we're called to here in Johnson County in a, in a world where people don't doubt their money, they don't doubt their careers, they don't doubt their families, but they do doubt God. And what does it look like for us to be the people who have experienced Jesus to just say to people, hey, we've, we've seen some stuff. And maybe you haven't yet, but we welcome you in. Thomas was welcome and he was safe among them. Here's, here's the, the last thing I want to just point this out. This maybe isn't so obvious, but, but just, just notice this. It was eight days later. His disciples were inside, and then this is the, the word, again, 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 and again. They went back to the place where they'd experienced Jesus the first time. If you're someone who struggles with doubt, you've come to Jesus, but you're questioning where he's at, I want you to come back to the place where you've experienced him again and again and again. Where is the place that God is at work? Where is the place where Jesus shows up? I think, you know, there could be many of these places in the world. By God's grace, there are many of these places in the world. But one of the promises of God is that when his people gather together to make much of him, he is present there among us. You know what that means? This right here is the place where the disciples come back to you again and again and again. And again, why? You didn't come into this space today to, to, to meet some friends or to get all amped up for a football game. My goodness, there are better bars and restaurants for you to do that at. You came today to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus that would encourage your faith, that would help you with your doubts, to celebrate the fact that your life is controlled and seen and sovereign. He is sovereign over your life, that he is real and he is encouraging you. You came today not to hear a long-winded message. You came to experience Jesus, didn't you? And this is the place where we come again and again and again and again. And this is what I want to say. Here, here, just what, what do we do with all this, right? How, how, do we, how do we take this from here? If you're a Thomas and you doubt, I want you to know that we get it. We don't think you're crazy. But we want you to know that you're welcome here. And our encouragement to you is to go to the place where you think people have answers. Push into relationships here in this church. After the first service, um, uh, a guy came up to me and he said, man, I stopped listening to you after your first question, which is always encouraging. 
he goes, he goes, you asked the question, have you ever said never? And it was like the Holy Spirit said to my heart, you need to tell Dan all the times that you've said never. So we set up a lunch. I'm going to go, you know, take this guy out to lunch. I'm going to hear about all these times that God shown up in his heart. And, and if you're a Thomas and you don't believe those things, maybe the best thing for you to do is to build relationships with people who believe those things so they can share with you the experiences that they've had. And maybe in the connection together and the patience and the waiting together, you can pray, God, would you give me that faith? God, would you show up to me the way you've shown up to this person? If you're a Thomas, I think the best thing you can do is actually come in and be a part of the church. Come in and be a part of, of the family. And I hope here you feel welcome and safe. If there's other people in this room, you're not Thomas. You're more like the disciples. Like you, you've actually had Jesus do some stuff in your life and it's incredible, it's miraculous and you love talking about it because you can't explain it. And, and maybe you're a parent. Maybe you want that for your kids so badly. Maybe you're terrified that you're going to not get your kids to a place where they experience Jesus. And so you've tried really hard to make sure that you, to put it mildly, cram down the Bible down their throats. Try to answer all their questions and try and push them down their avenue of faith and tell them to stop doubting and just believe like I believe God's good. But you know what's crazy is that this, this verse actually gives us permission as parents, no matter if your kid is 6, 16, 26, 86. It gives you permission as a parent to be able to be patient with your kid's journey to Jesus. You know, the disciples didn't conjure up Jesus like he was a potion on that eighth day. They just were present. And they waited. And they watched together. I bet they prayed. They were just with him. I think a lot of times my temptation as a parent, you know, I've got three kids who are eight, six, and four, and the eight-year-old this week asked me, Dad, how, asked his mom, and we kind of got into it. Mom, how do, um, how do I know that our God is better than the Greek gods? And I was like, well, we're Norwegian, first of all, so that's easy. No, the, the temptation in that moment was to flex my master's degree, <laughs> to give a bunch of, like, you know, apologetical arguments. But, but we know that we could be cutting off the roots of our child's faith if we just give them simple answers. And so what we do here at Heartland and what we do in my family is just we simply acknowledge the tension and say, yeah, that's a hard question, isn't it? You know, why don't we think about that together? Back in Indiana, one of the guys that I met was a guy named Bill. He was a police sergeant. He was one of my, my favorite people. We got really close. He invited me to be a chaplain on the police force back in my community. And I, I really loved the opportunity I had to serve our police. And um, Bill had a son. And uh, his son, one day at 11, he said, Dad, how do we know where God is? And Bill, not being raised in church, just simply said, I don't know, buddy. Let's go find out together. And so this dad and his son found their way into our church and we started a relationship and they had no idea who Jesus was, but we had created a safe place for them to ask all their questions. And actually the son really never came to faith, not yet at least, but Bill has experienced Jesus on his job, in his family, and as a dad in ways that has radically transformed him. Why? Because he was willing to ask the questions and go where he could find the answers and be present in the community and to just simply wait until Jesus showed himself. And I think that's just what I want to encourage us with. Do you have someone in your life who you, who you think has said, I'll never believe? What do we learn from Thomas? It's simply this, is that we should never say never. Because you don't know when Jesus is going to show up in someone's life. 
All that we're responsible is simply to be present and prayerful, to have open arms and to say, I don't know, but let's wait for Jesus together. Here's how I want us to close our service today. Thank you for being so patient with us. I, I just want us to have a, a moment of space. I think it'd be really um, incomplete if we just rushed out the doors right now. So I just want to give us maybe three or four minutes of just, just being. To have the band sing a song over us. And this is a song that's a prayer. It's a song that just asks God to give us faith. To, to just help us to trust what he says. If you're a Thomas, I think this is a great prayer for you. God may not prove all of your doubts today or reveal himself as the resurrected Lord in your heart today. But there's a prayer that I think Thomas prayed, which is why he was with them on the eighth day, which was just simply, Jesus, I want to believe. Would you help me? And I think when we ask this question, Jesus shows up in our lives in some way. And then maybe you've been praying this for someone. Love for you in this moment, just as a fellow traveler on the journey with Jesus that has seen what Jesus can do, the people in your life who have said, I'll never believe. I just wonder if maybe right now you could just pray for them. God, how would you have me extend an invitation just to be present with them? How can we non-threateningly talk about who you are so that we can make space to build relationships where you can truly become first? This is, this is the invitation before all of us. This is what we're about here is just coming to God some of us on our knees, some of us doubting, some of us having seen Jesus and just saying, God, be, encourage, give faith. I want to invite the band to kind of play this over us as we leave here, but I also want to invite you to go to heartlandchurch.org and register for Wednesday night. It's going to be an incredible conversation as we keep this moving forward. Hey, we've got one more week. Next week's our last week on this. If you haven't had a chance to put a doubt on the board. I'll be talking through a couple of those doubts next Sunday. So I'd love for you just to be vulnerable with us. This is a safe space. We're not going to read your name. We're not going to out you. We just want to know, what are you doubting? What are you praying to God to give you faith about? And it's with that, Harlan, that we want to just say we love you. And by God's grace, we'll see you back here again next week as we gather together again and again and again and again. And again.